All right, all you cool cats and kittens, thank you for joining us for our chapter chat for this week. We are in the book of Acts. We're in the 16th chapter, and we are just uh, motoring our way through uh, just the real meaty middle portion of the book because we're smack dab in the middle now of the preaching journeys of, of Paul. Uh, chapter 16 really kind of well, actually, the last verse of chapter 15 maybe officially begins the second preaching journey, but chapter 16 kind of starts filling in the details. Jason, ready to go in the uh, jump in the boat with Paul and see what we can learn? Let's truck along on the boat. All right. Um, in chapter 15, of course, uh, the, the concluding paragraph there uh, kind of let us know about the separation of Paul and Barnabas and uh, how Paul recruits uh, a new partner uh, on this voyage, and it is uh, a fellow by the name of Silas. And verse 41 says that they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening those churches. And then chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And so those were a couple of the churches that Paul and Barnabas had helped to establish on the first go-round, coming back to, to check on those folks. And a disciple was there, I presume that that's meaning at Lystra, uh, named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So this is our first introduction in the New Testament to Timothy, who is uh, a, you know, he's not like a, a forefront figure, but he is an important figure, certainly in the, in the life of Paul, and this is the, the beginning of that uh, relationship, at least from what the Bible tells us. And, uh, of course, Timothy's got two letters that were addressed to him that we have uh, contained in the New Testament. Uh, he'll pop up again and again in the book of Acts. His name will appear in uh, several of the other letters that, that Paul would, would write to churches uh, as obviously being a useful person, for Paul, especially when Paul was in prison. Uh, Timothy is going to serve in a lot of ways as just a helpful you know, courier or, or conduit in a lot of ways to, to kind of uh, help get some things done while Paul is constrained. We're told here about his background, a little bit about his family, that he does have a Jewish mother. And then the way that Luke says this, but his father was a Greek, probably indicates, and most people tend to believe, that this probably means that uh, his father was not a believer. Um, you know, we can't automatically 100% conclude that. But from what's said here, and then of course what's said over in the letters to Timothy where Paul commends Timothy's mother and grandmother for helping to instill faith in Timothy, uh, it, it seems as if Timothy's dad uh, maybe was absent from the picture, at least in the spiritual sense, which unfortunately... It does happen a lot. Uh, you know, I used to work yeah. in the child support office for, for 10 years. So, of course, I got to see lots of absent parents and uh, lots of absent fathers, and that's always disheartening. But what's even more disheartening is when, you know, a, a mother is left to essentially by herself the spiritual training of children. And um, certainly mothers play an important part in that, but I always, you know, fall back to what Ephesians chapter 6 says about fathers. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, both parents need to be involved in that training, but man, that verse specifically <laughs> lays a lot of that at the feet of fathers. And it seems like maybe Tiffany's dad, or Tiffany's, Timothy's, <laughs> <laughs> Timothy's dad uh, was not present for, for that, but Timothy turns out to be 
quite a quite an amazing young Christian man. Best we can tell, you know, most people tend to think maybe he might have been in his early twenties at this point in time. Who knows? Maybe a little younger, maybe a little bit older. Um, but he is, verse two, well spoken of by the brethren that was in those churches in that uh, in that particular area. And so Paul sees, hey, there's an opportunity here with this young guy. You know, John Mark. Uh, on the previous journey, uh, we tend to believe John Mark was probably a younger guy. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite work out with John Mark. Uh, maybe you know, he just was a little more flaky than than you know what Paul you know felt that a companion of his needed to have. And maybe Timothy was Paul saw something else in him and Timothy that uh, there's things to work with with this young guy, and he wants to be kind of a father figure to him spiritually. And we do see that kind of language in Paul's writings later where he talks about Timothy as, you know, my son. I mean, not literally, not by blood, but in a spiritual sense, there's that relationship. Yeah, and there's a few things here too. You think of verse 2, you know, how did how did Paul know about Timothy and, and how good he was? Because he was well-spoken yeah. uh, by the brother, not just Lystra, but also Iconium. Um, there's a lot that could be said about how we recommend people to others. Um, hopefully, we can trust what other Christians say. And so if, if someone is recommended uh, is, is being highly regarded, we need to you know, consider that. And um, you know, we can base what we think about somebody um, you know, based on the good recommendations of other brethren. I and this is not even the first time in Acts where we've seen the importance of having a good reputation. I go all the way back to Acts 6 when it talks about, you know, choose seven men and what was one of the things? We well, need to find men who are of good repute, have a good reputation. Yeah, uh, it, it carries a lot of weight. Uh, don't ever want to discount that. Yeah, and you also consider Timothy. He he was real young here. Like 10 to 12 years later when Paul writes, flee youthful lusts yeah. and don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth. It's like, okay, this was, that was... Twelve years after yeah. this, uh, and so I wonder how young he was. He may have been a teenager, for all we know. Could have been. Yeah. Um, but that just shows that this guy—you don't have to be an old person to be useful in the faith. Um, right. You know, people of all ages, backgrounds—they are useful um, if we do what we need to do. I think that's the key. Well, verse three, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, hold on, Jason. Hmm. Did we not, in chapter 15, just have an entire conference over the fact that, hey, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian? What in the world? How in the, why is Paul circumcising this young guy? Well, I don't believe it's because, well, that's what made him a Christian. You know, mm-hmm. now he actually is saved <clears throat> because he's been circumcised. Obviously, there's something else going here, uh, and it's really, I think it's really an, a useful and important principle uh, that, that's embedded here that we need to think about when it, when it comes to, to our, our evangelistic efforts in reaching the lost. The purpose of circumcising Timothy on this occasion uh, was to be able to reach those Jewish brethren uh, or those Jewish folks who were in those places to be able to have influence, uh, to be able to to even just gain an audience with those folks, you know, where does Paul always go when he comes into a new town? Where's the first place he goes? The synagogue. He goes to the synagogue, uh, and and that's that, that's his mo. And it's it's kind of funny because then here in just a minute when we get to Philippi, we're going to find <laughs> there, there wasn't a synagogue for him to go <laughs> to, but. Um, 
he's going to go to the synagogue because he knows there's, there's religiously minded folks and that's a great place to start. Well, you can't go in the synagogue if you are not circumcised. And so in order to be able to, again, gain a hearing with those folks and for those folks to be willing to, uh, to listen and to, uh, to, 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 to build some rapport and some influence with those folks, uh, Timothy is, is, is going to need to do this. Uh, and Paul sees that there is uh, value in that for the sake of the kingdom and being willing to, all right, you don't have to. I mean, you know, as far as your salvation, no, you don't have to do this. You could very easily say, well, you know what? I have the right to remain uncircumcised. And <laughs> Timothy would have been within his rights to do that. Yeah. Um, but he was willing to sacrifice those rights uh, on this occasion to be able to reach folks. And we need to be willing to do the same thing. You know, it, it, I, I th this is maybe kind of a stretch example because it, it may never happen in my lifetime, I don't know, but it's, a, it, it's one we can think about. You know, if, if, if me and my wife were to have the opportunity to ever go and visit in like, you know, Saudi Arabian lands, yeah. um, and we want to try to have influence there, want to try to be able to spread the gospel, well, one of the things, unfortunately, my wife's going to have to be willing to do is she's going to have to be willing to put a veil on. She's going to have to put on the, the, the burqa, and that may make her really uncomfortable. It'll probably be really, really hot. Uh, and, and I don't mean like like hot in the, in the <laughs> oh, that's so hot. No, heat-wise, it'll probably be difficult. But in order to be able to get a foothold uh, in that area, we need to be willing to do that. And again, that's a... That's not like some kind of a compromise of our morals or our values or of anything else in the New Testament. Timothy being circumcised here didn't, you know, compromise or change anything about about his salvation or his standing with God. It wasn't sinful. I need to be willing to do that. Certainly, I don't want to do something sinful just to be able to reach somebody with the gospel. You know, I'm going to go into a bar and I'm going to start drinking so that I can then, you know, have an audience with the the drunks at the bar. No, um, but but I need to be willing to make sacrifices that are feasible to do in order to reach folks. Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 9. You know, he becomes all things for all men yep. in, the, in order that he may save something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not just appeasing the masses and, you know, making spiritual compromises. Um, you know, it's, there was a point to this and there was a purpose. You know, later on, there's going to be a situation where Paul is with Titus and he makes a point of not having Titus circumcised. Right. And so it's like, wait, does Paul like wishy-washy, you know, circumcises this one, but doesn't this one? No, there was a point. It was because those people were trying to force Titus to be circumcised. Yeah. Uh, sort of like the Acts 15 issue. Yeah. To be a Christian. Um, and that wasn't it. Paul here with Timothy, that was a voluntary thing. It, it doesn't say that the Jews were pressuring him and he was like, well, okay, I guess we're going to do it. Yeah. No, it, it was he, he anticipated some of the objections because everybody around there knew you know, verse, in verse 3 that his, his father, father was a Greek. Greek. Yeah. yeah. And so because of that, it's like, well, let's not put unnecessary roadblocks in front of us. Yeah. Um, I'll use an example for me. When I was in college, I, I went to UK and uh, go big blue. Uh, you know, when I would see someone who was wearing, like, I don't know, University of Louisville attire. Yeah. Like, I, I would just get, I don't know, and I was young and dumb, but I would just get upset and angry. I'm like, how could you wear that? Why would you do that? Um, if that's how I approached people when I was trying to teach them the gospel, do you think that would be very, uh, you know, a very good way of drawing them in? No. Probably not. Right. 
Um, not saying that I, I should, you know, deck myself out in U of L gear, but you know, maybe try to avoid some uh, potential controversial things when I'm trying to build a bridge to somebody and trying to reach them with the gospel. Yeah, when I've preached in meetings in Louisville before, uh, I'll usually wear one night. I'll wear a I'll wear a UK <laughs> blue tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make very clear who I am. But then usually later in the week, I'll wear a Louisville red tie to say. I'm becoming all things to all men. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so that That's I might good. say That's so. right. Uh, but yes, it's the, and especially in the case of Paul and, and the differences between what he did with Titus and what he does with Timothy here, it's, it's having an understanding of, of, of each environment and each situation and what that calls for and what's going to be best to reach those people in that place at that time. And um, yeah, I mean, the fact that all the folks there locally, they knew that Timothy's dad was a Greek and that was going to be a... Uh, it, it, it was going to be a roadblock, and Paul is all about eliminating roadblocks and eliminating those things that might interfere with the gospel being received in a good and honest heart. And we need to be mindful of those sorts of things uh, when we encounter them. And like, let's let's do things to eliminate that stuff. Because again, last thing we want is like just dumb stuff to be yeah. the reason somebody never gives a fair hearing of the gospel that they otherwise would be willing to give to. You know, just, just get rid of it. It's a, it's a minor thing. And I, saying Timothy being circumcised and calling that a minor thing, it probably <laughs> wasn't minor for Timothy. Yeah, you know, we always, good, good point. <laughs> exactly, you know, I'll sometimes hear people talk about minor surgeries. Well, every surgery is a minor surgery if you're not the one having it. <laughs> So, true. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've referred to before as, as this is just a minor thing, but for Timothy it probably was is a big deal. But he was willing to do it, and that's that's the attitude that that, that we need to have. Yeah. Um, so uh, th that then gains them a foothold uh, there in those in those regions. Verse four: As they went on their way through those cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So there's a call back to uh, the events of chapter fifteen, sharing that word with everyone. Verse five: So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And w we've seen several of those little uh, kind of statements like that by Luke. Uh, and they're kind of placed kind of periodically, kind of, and, and I almost feel like they're kind of like little markers to let us know this is the end of this section, and now it's kind of beginning a new section. And that is especially the case here. That's helpful here for us to note that, that, that this, is, this is the end of, of this particular section, because what happens beginning in verse 6 is now we're going to see the gospel head in an entirely new direction, and that is the gospel is now going to be taken to Europe. Up until this point, we've been entirely on the continent of, of Asia. Now, of course, you got the Ethiopian eunuch who, all right, he probably went back home, back to Africa, and, and took the gospel there. I get that. But we've been primarily in, in Asia. But beginning in verse 6 and for, for, for the next several um, sections here, um, Paul is getting the gospel over into a brand new territory. So, verse 6, other thoughts down through verse 5. Uh, I'm good. Okay, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Let's just say a word about that. Um, <laughs> namely, uh, the fact that we don't know the reason that the Spirit forbid them uh, to uh, go on through the, the, you know, the region of, of Asia Minor. Here is really, I think, what's being talked about. Yeah. Um, there could be any number of reasons. Could be one, maybe the, that region 
just was not ready to receive the gospel. Maybe just some other things needed to happen politically. Some other things needed to happen in the culture. Some other things just needed to happen in order to make that more fertile ground. It may be that the Spirit recognized Paul wasn't ready. Maybe there were some other things that Paul needed to do, endure and, 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 and go through and toughen him and strengthen him for that time later on. Uh, maybe the Spirit just recognizes that this other direction, well, it's way more ripe. You know, the ground is already fertile and this is the perfect time for it to go there. We don't know. It could be a combination of all those things for all that we know. Um, but we are seeing the direct operation of, of the Spirit in this way. Uh, and of course, the Lord knows what's best. And so he's, He is kind of playing an important part here in, in guiding. And yeah, you think about what that would do. If, what if you were Paul and you were trying to, it's like, I'm trying to preach the gospel here and you're not going to let me? Yeah. It's like, well, I guess I better quit because he doesn't do that. Right. You know, if, if God showed, showed Paul, okay, you can't do this. Um, he he didn't get discouraged and down and out about it because you know his because God interrupted his plan. Sometimes we get so focused on our own plans yeah. that if anything goes wrong, it's like, well, I guess I better just give up. No, no, that just means that our plans weren't the best for whatever reason. We yeah. may never know the reason, um, but there is another plan for us. What if what if we were like planning, okay, I'm going to go and spread the gospel in a foreign country and get everything lined up, have the tickets bought, but I'm not able to get my visa approved to go over there. Well, I can't go. You know, so what should I do? You know, just be upset and go sulk? Yeah. Or, you know, do what I can where I am. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and there's an aspect of this that I don't really know the answer to, you know, when he says we were forbidden by the Spirit to go to these places. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. Does that mean that the Spirit... <laughs> yeah uttered something to them? Does it mean that when they like came up to a certain area there was just like an invisible wall and like they oh, bumped bump their head into it and okay we can't go this way and we started going yeah. over this direction oh no can't go that way either. Um, I don't know how that worked. Yeah. Um, we're not given all of those uh, details here. Um, let's, let's keep reading this little paragraph here. And when they had come up to Mysia they attempted to go into Bithynia but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so we've got, you know, if you were kind of plotting all this on a map, I mean, this is kind of all over the place. There'd be squiggles going in every direction. We tried yeah. here and we had to turn around and go in this direction. Um, and you're right. It, it could have been discouraging or frustrating on the part of Paul, but we see him continuing to just truck forward. Okay, obviously the Lord has, has, has other plans for us at this time, so help us out here, Lord. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, well, that, that provides some, some clarity. <laughs> that you helps. Know, if there was confusion before, we're all over the place, this vision would, would kind of help make things clear. Verse 10, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I like that statement uh, at the end of verse um, 10 there. We conclude, I don't know if the numeric standard uses a different... Concluding. That okay. God, yeah, yeah. We concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, here we have all of this evidence. And, and maybe what that means is, is that there never was at any point God just saying out loud, audibly, no, don't go here, do go here. No, 
God was just giving evidence all along the way, and the accumulation of that evidence caused them to conclude, all right, this seems to be where God is, is wanting us to go. And I, I make that point because you, know, you said something a little bit earlier about the idea of you know, we have plans and, and so forth, and sometimes God has, has other plans in mind for us. Um, and I agree with that. Um, that can be taken to an extreme, though, True. Where, where folks get this mentality that God has like our entire life mapped out and every single detail of it is mapped out, and I just need yep. to find the yellow brick road so I can get my foot on <laughs> that path and, and go exactly the way that He's already got it all lined out. And sometimes what that means as well is that you'll hear people say things like, um, you know, God, God, God told me, or, or, or God, God led me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Spirit led me here. I was, I was nudged by the Spirit to, to, to make this decision or to make this move. And um, I, I just, I, I worry a little bit about that kind of language. Uh, do I believe the, the, the Spirit of God is active in our lives? Absolutely. I do not doubt that for one moment at all. Can I explain to you every way in which that works? No, I cannot. Um, but, but I do worry with this idea uh, of, of God speaking to us, giving us impressions in, in, in that kind of, of tangible sort of way. However, if somebody says, all right, we were faced with this really important decision. Maybe it's about you know, making a move, you know, moving to another state. And so we prayed about that a lot. And, and, and we talked to, to brothers and sisters and sought their wisdom about that. And we, 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 we were reading the Bible about you know, different things. And we then came to the conclusion that God, God is ready for us to move to that place. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I think that's a biblical approach to uh, speaking in, in those sorts of terms. Uh, and this, a passage like this just kind of helps with that. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, we... I think it would be easier if our life was just... Con- all we had to do was just listening and God is telling us what to do in every single situation. Yeah. Um, and, and we would consider that easier because we don't have to think. We don't, we don't have <laughs> yeah. to do anything as far as, uh, you know, thinking through what His will is and what, what we're doing. Is that good? Is it bad? Should we go here? Should we go there? Um, you know, I, I think that sometimes we get so focused and, and too caught up in that idea of, well, is, is this where God wants me or is this where God wants me? God wants you to be faithful, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that's, that's, that's it. Um, now, sometimes I think He does help us and, and sure. urge us, and there, there are some things like that, but uh, the whole overall grand scheme of things, we do have to make our own conclusions. God gives us choices, and He gives us free will and enough to do that. Um, can I serve the Lord in Somerset or Lexington? Either you know, I, I could, yeah. could go either way, you know. Yeah. Or, or what about here, or Zimbabwe, or you know, Ethiopia? Um, yeah, there's stuff you could do wherever you are, where God plants you, bloom. You know, um, mm-hmm. there, somebody said that once. I don't, I don't remember. It was really good oh, though. Oh man, I was going to give you credit for it's it. A, <laughs> don't so do that. Beautiful. Don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, we we have to be just aware that um, we can't just be sitting around and waiting. Yeah. To hear that voice of God telling us we need to do something, right? Because that's not how it works, right? No, we we do something, and if it doesn't work out, okay, well that must not have been what God wanted. Let me try something else. Yeah. The funny thing about with Paul, you know, here was a guy who 
who did receive direct <laughs> revelations from God from time to time. And yeah. he had spiritual gifts, like, like gifts of knowledge and things of that nature. And yet still, even he here is having to use his mind and do some thinking, connect some dots, and draw some conclusions accordingly. Uh, and so if an apostle of the Lord <laughs> had to do that, well then of course you and I are going to have to do that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's on to the region of Macedonia then. So they're going to uh, cross the, the sea here. Uh, verse 11 then. Hold up. Go ahead. Um, one, one thing real quick. Uh, there's a change and shift in pronouns. Yes, there is. Yeah, instead of they and them, we have the first us. And yeah. Yeah, and so it seems like in Troas they picked up a uh, selling partner. Yeah. Um, probably the author of this book. That that, that would seem to be who that is. And I, th there's actually <laughs> there, there's a detail or two here in, in when they get to Philippi that to me just seems like the kind of thing that like Luke would record because he was right there <laughs> yeah. and was seeing it happen. And so he had to just make a note about it, and I'll, I'll call our attention to that in just a second. But yeah, uh, here's, here's, here's the first of, of some sections where it's evident Luke is with them. And of course, Luke is, is another one of those really important guys in kind of Paul's you know, panoply of, of, of good close companions. And he makes mention of yeah. Luke and some of his other writings and uh, what an important brother that he was. And uh, so, yes, let's, we'll, we'll note the we's and the us's going forward. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. So we have here um, the entrance into uh, Philippi. Of course, uh, the church, and this is, this is really where I think we see the, the beginnings of, of the, the Philippian church, obviously. Um, Paul's got a letter that he writes to them later on. Yeah. And um, this is kind of the genesis of that, that relationship. And if you've read the Philippian letter, you know how special that group was to him and probably maybe some of that just had to do with just how memorable the time was there. I'm going to argue that chapter 16 of Acts might just be the most action-packed chapter in the whole book mm, yeah. uh, because of all the stuff that's going to happen here. Um, and just the things that they 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 experienced, and I mean, they they get took through the ringer here, and some amazing things happen. And Paul just has a special place in his heart for for the Christians uh, in this place. Um, Good thing his plans in Asia fell through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the kind of thing that you know leads me to believe. Well, the Spirit knew what He was doing when He was preventing them to go from this place into that place to come uh, to here and to get some things started in uh, in this place. Um, we want to take note uh, of the fact that it says that this was uh, a Roman colony, the city of Philippi was, mm, yeah. uh, which it kind of just meant that it was kind of a like a satellite of Rome itself. You know, it was like a little miniature version of Rome, just away from from where Rome was. Rome away from Rome. Yeah, it's just Rome away from Rome. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. <laughs> that is. Uh, but what that meant is that meant that the citizens in that city they got to enjoy all the rights and the privileges that people who were citizens in the city of Rome would, would it, it get to enjoy. Uh, Philippi was free from taxation. Uh, it had its own city government. Uh, it had autonomy uh, as long as the laws in Philippi did not violate and conflict with uh, Roman laws. Um, 
this city, and I think this is kind of important to note, uh, is, is comprised of, of at least a couple of different groups of people. Uh, you've, got, you've got a small number of Jews. Uh, I, I think that's, that, that's going to be seen a little bit here. Uh, but you've got mainly these, these Roman colonists, which probably would have been like retired um, like army guys. Um, and so they're comprising a lot of this. You've got, of course, the, the, the native Macedonians who were there before. Uh, and then there's, there's a contingent of just some, some Oriental folks. Yeah. And, and so Paul comes in. To, it's, it's kind of a hodgepodge, I guess, is the, is the point. And verse 13. And on the Sabbath day... We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. Again, normally on the Sabbath day, Paul's going to the synagogue. Evidently, there was not enough Jews there in the city to where there was actually a, a synagogue in place. So, all right, where's a place where we can find just some... Are there any spiritually minded people here? And thankfully, there are. And there's some women. And this is another place where Luke is noting for us um, that you know, kind of speaking against the common thinking that sometimes people have about just the Bible or even the way things were in Bible times that you know women were just looked down upon and, and Paul was a misogynist and all this sort of thing. Mm. No, here's 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 women who are are interested in God. They're they're they they've come there to to pray and Paul. Well, there's an opportunity. You didn't think about well, it's women, you know, but don't bother them. You know, let's just who cares about them? No, we we need to look for some important men around here. No, we're going to go and join ourselves to them. Um, and he sat down, spoke to them who had come together. Verse fourteen: One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so there's specific mention here of the woman Lydia. I don't think that she's necessarily the, the only person who was interested, but there's mention of her here because she pops back up again at the end of the chapter. Um, she's there uh, doing business. She's a business woman. She sells uh, purple goods and so forth. Um, the expression that's used there at the end of verse 14, uh, again, I don't know if the New American Standard renders it any differently, where it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Yeah, same. Um, that's the kind of expression that could be easily misconstrued or, mm -hmm. or abused, I think. Yeah. Uh, the thinking that, uh, and this is common in the religious world today, that the only way that you can understand uh, God's Word is if you have some kind of direct operation. You need to pray for the Holy Spirit to you know, to to intervene and to then open your heart. Otherwise, you're never, um, you know, going to be able to do that. Um, I, I actually think the opening of the heart here is just working in conjunction with what's said about um, hearing the word that Paul was was preaching and and delivering uh, unto them. Um, what do you want to say about that? Well, yeah, that the idea that we cannot under, understand Scripture on our own, that we need help, we need some kind of direct revelation or guidance. Um, Paul actually mentions this in Ephesians 3. He says um, in verse 3, so Ephesians 3, verse 3 says, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery 
as I wrote before in brief. So some things are kind of mysterious, mm -hmm. but in verse four, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. You know, there are some things that, yeah, we wouldn't be able to come, um, come up with on our own. But um, by, by reading and hearing these spirit-inspired words by these spirit-inspired people, um, that's how we are able to be opened up to understand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, think about this. If, if we prayed for someone to be saved, could God answer our prayer? Well, yeah, mm -hmm. but how would he do that? Would, would he just, well, you know what? Jason Bridgman prayed that this person would be saved, so I guess I got to save them. No, maybe uh, there are influences in that person's life that they find the gospel they, and they obey it just like everyone else. That's how salvation comes. And so to say that, um, you know, I pray for someone to be saved or, you know, I, I pray that God opens their hearts. It's not, I don't think it's some kind of magical, mysterious thing that happens. Um, it's just, you know, some people, they, by their own choices and actions, separate themselves from the Word of God because they just don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Some people are more receptive and they have an open heart and they're willing to listen. I, I think that's, that's what we saw, remember, from Jesus' disciples. Uh, what separated them from the crowds? They asked questions. They actually cared enough to, to come and, and see and, and discover more. Um, so I, I think that's what we're seeing out of her. She had a good heart uh, and she was willing to do something about what she heard. Yeah, and, and that, I, that's if, if I were to just kind of uh, use another term to kind of describe the, the opening of her heart, I think it's just describing that, that she was convicted by what she heard. It makes me think of, this is, I was racking my brain trying to think of, there's similar language that I was trying to think of. In Matthew 16, verse 17, uh, of course, Peter's made the good confession uh, in verse yeah. 16 that you're the Christ, Son, the living God. Then verse 17, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, you know, mm. ostensibly, yeah. has revealed this to you. What well, did that mean that God had like you know done some kind of direct operation on Peter's heart and mind at that moment to give him that information? N not in some miraculous sort of sense. It's just that Peter, the evidence, the things that he had seen, the things that he had heard, it then brought him to a moment of, of conviction. And in that yeah. sense, then yes, you can say, God revealed that to him. Or you could say, God then opened up Lydia's heart because she had heard and had, you know, allowed those things to come into her ear portals and then into her mind <laughs> and to digest those things. And, and being convicted about it, uh, that then is what opens the door for, uh, for her to, uh, to, to respond to it, which is what we see in the very next verse, verse 15, that after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying that if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so... Um, here we see, you know, the pattern in Acts just kind of continuing on. That when people hear the gospel message and are convicted by it, um, that that faith produces an obedience that culminates in in baptism. Uh, and you know, the good news here was, you know, wasn't just wasn't just Lydia. I mean, she obviously yeah. had an influence on the rest of her family, or maybe, for we know, maybe the rest of her family was there when Paul was doing the teaching. Uh, don't know all the the, the specifics about that, but. Uh, we see her become obedient to the gospel, 
And then we see her just even right after that, like, I mean, she's ready to hit the ground running. And so she's she's opening up her home to be uh, hospitable to them. And we'll see, again, we'll see some hospitality extended uh, at the end of the chapter uh, as well. Here's a woman uh, playing just a really important role in the kingdom. And that just, that, 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 that can't be... Uh, you know, overstated. Yeah, very true. I like what you said about, you know, the, the culmination of this. It's, it's obviously it's like when she was baptized, like obviously she was going to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that was never a question um, of, you know, is that going to happen? You know, we're going to schedule that at some point. No, it's like they, she heard the word and she was moved. And so her obvious reaction was being baptized. Um, you know, and it does seem, I like how it does say at the end of verse 15, she prevailed upon us, is how my version renders it. Yeah. Uh, it's like, she wasn't going to take no for an answer. Right. You know, it seems like Paul and the rest of them, maybe they wanted to go somewhere else and, you know, travel and, and keep going, but she just kept insisting. Um, and that's that was impressive. And sort of the guilt trip there, if you judge me to be faithful with the Lord, you'd stay with me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, um, one of the things, you know, when it says that she was uh, from the city of Thyatira, I don't know if that maybe means that um, she, that is normally her home, but maybe she's just in Philippi for business and maybe she has like, you know, an apartment or something there uh, for that time period of time that she's there doing work, or it could just mean that maybe she's just from Thyatira and now she's located full-time in, in Philippi. Uh, regardless, uh, th- there, there's the thought to me that, you know, if she was, you know, normally from Thyatira, you know, here you've got another example of someone potentially, when they go back home, they're going to take the gospel with them, and here's how that just gets to spread. And you think about the eunuch, yeah. he took the gospel back home with him to Ethiopia, and uh, how that all just... Uh, just works and spreads, and it's just the it's the snowball effect. Um, it am I correct in remembering that Thyatira was actually in Asia Minor? Uh, Is that yeah? And so, true? and before you before you pass the baton to me a second ago, I was hoping you'd keep talking because I'm trying to pull up <laughs> trying to pull up a map. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, um, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of funny. There's a the province in Asia Minor that Thyatira is located in is called Lydia. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I wonder if what if her parents were like, well, we'll just name you after the land, or I wonder if this could be a nickname. You know, like might be she was from that area, so that's what they called her. But regardless, that is from Asia Minor. You know, Paul wanted to go into Asia Minor to preach. The Lord wouldn't let him, yeah. so he goes into Macedonia. But the first person he meets and teaches is someone from there. From, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, and and I should have knew the answer to that more quickly because, of course, there is one of the letters written to the seven churches, and one of them is in Asia Minor, in Asia yep. Minor, Thyatira. So, yep, true. yeah. Um, so anyway, all right. So we're in Philippi. I, I want us to. Do, I do want us to just take note of what was said at the end of verse uh, twelve when it says that we remained in this city some days. Um, I, just let's just file that away for the moment. That you know, this was not what, what we're going to read next. This was not Paul, right? We came into the town, and then all this stuff just happened like on one on day one. Yeah, uh, they were there for some time. People were probably starting to recognize them, seeing their faces again and again. You're starting to hear the scuttlebutt, even if you're not amongst the people that are actually sitting and listening. You're probably hearing about the fact that hey, we got some guys here that are bringing something a little bit different, and. Um, 
and that's going to get them into some trouble. Unfortunately, uh, we've we've I've said this repeatedly throughout Acts. The gospel chariots are rolling, it's a rolling, it's a rolling, and the devil's always got something to try and frustrate that. And so here comes yeah. the frustration in Philippi verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Now, this, this ought to stand out to us because the truth is we really have not seen a whole lot about like demon possession and, and, and unclean spirits and that sort of stuff in the book of Acts. Yeah, not that it true. didn't exist, but we're not seeing it in Acts nearly as much as we did like, like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, but it was still a thing. So that's why when now we've come upon a, a, you know, an account of, of somebody that's possessed by this spirit of divination, all right, this, this catches my attention because we've not had a lot of that thus far. Uh, this particular spirit on this slave girl, I mean, obviously would have caused her great troubles and frustration and torment, um, causing her to be something that she is normally not. However, uh, and this is a very American sort of thing, <laughs> you know, there were obviously some people who just saw dollar signs in, in, in what this spirit was able to do uh, with yeah. fortune-telling. Whether the fortune-telling was legit or whether it was, you know, the equivalent of, you know, handing out fortune cookies uh, or, you know, the horoscopes in the, um, you know, daily newspaper, I don't know. But it was a source of income for the people who were the owners of, of this slave girl. Um, I'm kind of seeing it, there was some kind of legitimacy, at, at least somewhat, because of the difference between after what happens. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, okay, well, there must have been something there, at least. Uh, don't know what it was and don't know how it worked, but there was something. It may have simply been just kind of the way that the demon caused the girl to act. Because mm. we're going to yeah. notice <laughs> a little bit about how this, this demon conduct itself and, and the effect that, that has on Paul here in just a second. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, maybe there, if, if nothing else, maybe even just something physically about how the girl appeared or, or how she acted or how she talked. It was clear she had a demon. Uh, whether the fortune-telling part of it was legit or not, who knows. It, it, regardless, we got, we got some people who are making merchandise off of this poor girl. Yeah. Verse 17, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, <laughs> it, it, actually, those are good things to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's fair. It's a recognition that these guys are, are men from God, the, the Most High God, not just any God, but the mm -hmm. God, uh, and they're bringing salvation to you, and hey, y'all listen to these guys. But th this kind of reminds me of... Um, you know, Jesus' encounters with people who had been possessed by demons and um, how Jesus really didn't, he didn't like the idea of like demons doing advertisements for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's True. like, you know, who wants a letter of recommendation from the devil? Uh, you know, hey, this guy's a really great worker and you ought to sign him. Sign sincerely, Satan. Um, no, we don't want that. And and yeah. I think there's there, there's kind of some some obviously feelings about that with Paul and them like, hey, look, we really don't want this. This is not good advertising going on here. Verse 18, she kept doing this for many days. And then I love this. This is, this is one of those things I think is just a Luke <laughs> notation. Yeah. Paul 
having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see, this is one of those scenes uh, I'd like to see, you know, on, on the YouTube of heaven. I want to ask God to play this scene for us because I want to see just how, how, how long Paul put up with this demon-possessed girl shouting this stuff at him, where this went on for, for, for however many days, uh, and just watching Paul's countenance slowly as each day passes, getting more and more annoyed about how to deal with this, and then finally, I command you to come out of her. You know, leave her alone. Um, but this, this, is, this is the incident, though, that is then going to cause the, the problems. Thoughts about the demon-possessed girl before we look at verse 19. Uh, well, I mean, just the very end of the verse came out at that very moment. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it, this had been festering for several days. But it wasn't like Paul was just like, man, I just really got to work up the power to be able to do this. Yeah. No, but when he finally said it, it was, it was just like, boom, done. Um, which shows, again, you know, the power of Jesus over everything, over Satan, even. Uh, and, and you see that throughout the book of Luke, for sure. Um, you know, and that's, that's why Jesus was able to perform those, um, you know, casting out the demons and that sort of thing. And that, that's why that was a sign of, of the legitimacy of what he was doing. Because if you could show your power over Satan, uh, I, I, I mean, what else is there to stop you? Yeah. The fact that Paul didn't just drive out the demon on like day one uh, maybe is an indication that he realized if they do that, it is going to open up a can of worms. Yeah. Uh, and True. it does. Uh, verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Whoa. Hmm. Um... There is some real liberties with the accusation that's made there. Actually, you want to talk about anti-Semitism that you know goes on today and things that are spoken of against Jews? Right here's some anti-Semitism. Yeah, here's some folks just laying some stuff on some guys that that yes were uh, were Jewish, um, had Jewish ancestry. Um, what evidently is not known though is that they've got Roman citizenship, and that's going to kind of be a key. Uh, important idea uh, as we get, get get working through the end of this chapter, um, yeah. but they just start you know saying these guys are they're 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 tearing things up and they're they're essentially you know asking us to do stuff that's against the Caesar against what you know what Roman law says to do you know I said earlier the the, the way that Philippi was governed was that all right they could have their own set of laws as long as it didn't conflict with Roman law and so we're going to accuse these folks of yeah they're they're telling us to do stuff against what Roman law says uh, which none of that was true I think Paul was advocating you know we don't know what all Paul was teaching we're not given a record of the sermons that he that he preached there or the lessons that him and Silas taught, but I, I can pretty well guarantee he was not teaching that you should do stuff uh, that was unlawful uh, for the Romans to, to, to practice. The, the very act that brings this about, um, when these guys say that they're throwing our city into confusion, aren't they removing a source of confusion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking a demon-possessed lady who is you know, fortune-telling or whatever, yeah. that 
that would be a, a source of confusion and, you know, whatever. But for them to get rid of that, that would, uh, I think that would help a little bit. Um, but like, like the accusations, if you don't have a good argument, you're just going to throw stuff around. Uh, and if, if you say enough, you know, key buzzwords, you'll, you know, the, the crowd will get their way. Yes. And, and, and they're, they're hitting all of the, the high notes as far as the buzzwords go. And it does create, uh, it creates like a mob here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some have maybe wondered, um, I know I have, why Paul did not, in this moment, pull out his Roman citizenship card. Yeah. You know, he, he is going to pull that card later, but why does he not pull it out here? It may just be that just kind of the way that the mob was working, he just really didn't have a chance to. Yeah. You know, or maybe he was shouting it, but like he can't. Nobody, nobody's lit, nobody is hearing him. Uh, there may have been chaos going on here. And that's especially uh, evident as we look at the next verse, verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Um, you know, when, when we read here in verse 25 in just a second about you know, this, this you know, quite beautiful and touching scene where Paul and Silas are singing hymns, one of the things that I think we don't think enough about is that while they're doing that that night, I mean, they may have been bloody still. Their their yeah. body may have been black and blue um, from the. They may have been in extreme discomfort physically while they were doing that. And I, I don't think we play that up enough when we when we retell this story. You know, we may you know I see clip art of of you know them in the jail and you're right maybe their their shirt is tore a little bit here. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. you can see their shoulder hanging out. And, oh, bless their heart. Uh, and even the jail doesn't even look all that terrible. Um, <laughs> True. But, the, I mean, they were, they were treated mercilessly. And, and I'm sure that after they took that beating, it was not like it was you know, today where even if like, you know, the police have to, have to rough somebody up, you know, all right, they're, they're still going to afterwards get some first aid and some medical attention. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was none of that offered here. It was we're whooping these guys, beat them half to death, and we're going to toss them in jail. Yeah, you have open wounds. Maybe they're still bleeding. Yeah. you know, and it, it, this not. I mean, my initial thought is that's not sanitary. But yeah, <laughs> it's but uh, discomfort to say the least. Yeah. I mean, that that's gonna hurt. Um, and it was it was the crowd that did this. You know, right. the the people who actually had a problem with these guys. It wasn't very many, but they created enough ruckus to where you get enough people involved. The crowd didn't take the time to investigate to see if this was true. Yeah. They didn't care. Um, and that's, that's what happens when we let mob mentalities mob take mentality. us. It, yep. It's just, we don't think. There's just no uh, source. It's like, well, if everybody else is outraged, I better be too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do some stupid stuff. Uh, in the heat of the moment, and it seems like that that happens here. Um, I think a lot of this, I think what you were alluding to there is, it helps set the stage for what happens next. Yeah. Um, because we we can't fully appreciate the story of them in jail and then what happens later with the jailer unless we really get a grasp on how much they were beaten. Do you think that the crowd who is driven to this mob mentality, who's given been given instructions to 
beat them will just be like, oh, let's just, you know, give them a little slap on the wrist. Mm -hmm. No, they are just out for blood. They're vicious. Um, and that's, that would not be a pretty scene. Well, and, you know, there, there's, there, of course, there's, this, is, this is just a replay of other mob scenes that, of course, think about Jesus, you know, what, what yeah. the final moments before he was crucified. It was essentially, it was, it was a mob. And there probably were lots of people that were just kind of joining in with the mob without even really even thinking through what they were saying. They just, we're just jumping in with it because that's just what the mob's saying. Uh, we've seen this already with, yeah. with some of the other apostles. I even think even kind of what happened with Stephen back in, in, oh, yeah. in chapter 7 in a lot of ways was people kind of got swept up in the moment. And uh, it's hard not to, to make those points without you know calling attention to some things that have happened in our country recently where I, I think a lot of that has happened in our country too. And uh, I understand yeah. you know in our country you know, uh, crying out against, you know, injustice or at the very least perceived injustices. Um, but it, we ought to read a passage like this from the Bible and it ought to tell us we just always want to be very careful with, um, you know, getting swept up in a crowd and, uh, you know, what a, a few loud voices are saying because before you know it, then you've accumulated all kinds of folks and we're all shouting stuff and we don't even really even know what we're shouting. And we really, I don't even know what we're even mad about. Yeah. You know, and this isn't even going to be the last mob or riot we're going to see. There's going to be a riot in Ephesus, you know, here in a couple yeah. chapters. Um, and, and that happens. It happens, uh, you know, over religious things. Uh, and actually, probably even here, it probably isn't even about religion. It, it's really more about, you know, these guys are just coming in here and they're disrupting our way of life. You know, we're not, we're not able to make money the way that we were before. You know, whoever these owners were, maybe they were just kind of, you know, they had the inside track. You know, all right, I know a magistrate where we can go and say something to, and before you know it, you get some of them riled up. Uh, and again, it's just a domino effect before everybody is, is joining in with, 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 with all of this chaos. Um, and, and in so doing, you end up, they end up completely bypassing all of the actual procedures that ought to be done for someone who was a Roman citizen and how if charges are going to be brought, all right, you need to actually give a proper trial. And Roman law also uh, exempted Roman citizens from degrading punishment or even imprisonment. And really, you look at this, how much more degrading punishment can I mean, I guess there are more degrading punishments. Crucifixion would be one. Hmm. But this yeah. is pretty low here, beaten with rods and, you know, inflicting all kinds of, of blows on them and attacking them in probably just every conceivable way, punches and kicks and, you know, gnashing of teeth and whatever else we can get our hands on. Um, and then to be thrown into the jail. And when it says they're uh, thrown into the inner prison, yeah. Maybe the word we ought to use is just dungeon, right? You know, because that, that's the image that ought to come to our mind is uh, we're going to place them in the most restrictive place possible, where you know there's not going to be like a, a a cot or or a pillow to lay down or any of the amenities that might be found in in a normal jail cell. No, we're throwing these guys into a a, a cold, dark, damp cellar, and we're going to toss away the well, we're not going to toss away the key, but we're going to you know, again, kind of just leave them there to be left to their own, uh, to their own for the night. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder what the perspective of the jailer is at this point, because uh, I doubt that he was there with 
the the mob and the crowd and everything because he's in charge of the prison he's there yeah. in the jail but seeing the people in authority bringing in this person well these people that they have beaten severely and saying you need to secure them up as best you can um you know, at that point, it's like, well, I guess you don't really ask questions. You know, you follow the orders of those in authority and, and you do that. And so you put them in, in that situation. Um, you know, just from his perspective right now, it's like, what is going on? The very these least, must be terrible Yeah, people. there had to be some curiosity about who are these guys and what yeah. they do. It's also possible, and I want to go back to what was said at the end of verse uh, 12 when it says that we had remained in the city for some days. It's possible maybe he kind of already had... Mm, heard about true. these guys. Yeah. He maybe even seen them around for all for all we know. Um, and and I'm even gonna maybe even kind of suggest that maybe he had some awareness uh, of these guys before this night. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's that's very possible with true. with what he ends up saying here in just a little bit. Um, so verse 25 here then begins probably the most famous part of of the story uh, when we talk about Paul and Silas and this Philippian jailer. Verse 25 about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Just stop right there. Um, this is my most favorite verse about singing in the whole Bible. Mm. Um, and it's because of, of just when, when you know the circumstances that they were in, yeah. and when you think about you know how badly their bodies must have felt, um, yet even in the midst of all that, one of the guys, and I don't know who it was, I don't know whether Saul or Silas said it or whether Paul said it, but one of them said to the other, hey, let's sing. And they did. And I don't know what they sang. I'd be curious to know, you know, what, what hymns would have, yeah. you know, uh, kind of entered their minds at, at that moment. Um, it, it's, I get choked up thinking about it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's a beautiful thought. Uh, number one, the, the gift that God has given us uh, in, in singing, uh, the, the beauty of that, you know, the, the music and the melodies that are able to be made through something so simple that anybody can do. Uh, and, we, and evidently from here, you can do it anywhere, at any time. Hmm. And, um, but just the, the encouragement and the comfort that that brings to us. Uh, certainly, you know, it says they were singing those hymns to God. Yes, it, it was to God. It was to praise Him and to glorify Him. But you have to know as well, there was personal benefit to them from doing that. The encouragement that they were giving to each other, the, the admonition they were giving to each other in the language of you know, Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3. Uh, it talks about what singing does, especially when we sing together with other Christians. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and praying as well. And, and the reason I'm just talking more about the singing is we have talked a lot about you know, Christians praying together through Acts. And we've not really said, because we haven't had a lot of mentions of it, about Christians singing together. Um, but... Again, just the joy of that. And then, of course, there's that last statement at the end of verse 25, which just speaks to another benefit of them doing what they were doing. And, and I don't think that they set about that night to pray and to sing with the specific intention of causing other people to hear them. But it was certainly a byproduct of what happened because Luke records the prisoners were listening to them. Uh, does the numeric standard use the word listening? Uh, list, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think Same that's probably the, the the stronger, better term to use instead of, you know, and prisoners heard them. Uh, well, yeah, of course, everybody would have heard them. <laughs> but I think the fact that it says they were listening, I mean, there was some intention on the part of some of the other prisoners like, yeah. hey, you hear that? Now listen to what they're singing. 
Weren't there those guys that, man, when they brought them in, I, there was just all kinds of commotion going on and terrible, and, and, and they're singing to their God? Man, what is, what's going on there? I mean, normally, if I'm getting thrown into jail, singing and praying to God is probably yeah. the last thing I'm going to be doing. At least that's yeah. my knee-jerk reaction. My knee-jerk reaction is to protest, you know, especially in this case, because I'm innocent. Yeah. Um, or to just be angry at the circumstances and you know, figure a way out of here. And this is this is just a bunch of bull, and I, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Um, that wasn't the response of these two brothers on that night. And like I said, it just it gets me every time I read it. And um, I'll let you talk before I get all weepy. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, no, how different are we? I mean, I think we're a lot different. Um, we we tend to call for our rights. You know, wouldn't this be a perfect opportunity <laughs> for Paul to say, hey, I'm Romans, yeah, yeah, come on, let us out. But no, instead, they use this as the opportunity to praise God um, and to be an example to others. And, and again, like you were saying, I don't I don't think it is either uh, one of those well, let's let's sing louder so we can look like we're holy and stuff. Yeah. No, like this is what they do. This is how they operate. It's how Just they what act. Christians do. And that's what we should do. That's yeah. how we should be. We should be uh, more spiritually minded and you know get together with Christians more, pray more, sing more, um, have in general a better attitude. People should be able to look at us. Even going through something awful, terrible, something that is not enjoyable, and be able to tell a difference in us. Um, you know, sometimes my dad tells me stories all the time of working in the coal mines where they would be doing some kind of really just dirty job that's really hard, and you know it's just nasty, and you're getting junk all over you, and, and like you're forced to do it, and it's it's like man, this is so terrible. But he said what he would do a lot of times is he would just either sing or whistle or something, just sort of. Go, and a lot of people were like, "How do you do that? You know, yeah. you're doing something that's like that's awful. How could you just sing your whistle and be happy while you're doing it?" Uh, and it's that makes an impression on people. Yeah. But shouldn't that be our attitude? You know, why is it that when people think of Christians, a lot of times what they think of is like some kind of sourpuss attitude that looks like you've been sucking on a lemon, you know, and, and you're just like, no, that's not how people should perceive us. Yeah. Um, not that we're going for perception. That's not how we should be. You know, we should have a better attitude in general. Yeah. Our influence a lot of times is is based on though what people see in us mm -hmm. and if they if they do see nothing but the the, the sourpuss or we've got the um, you know just the, the the stoic look on our face almost as if we're just kind of mad that we're not getting to enjoy all the mm. sinful stuff that the rest of the world is we're, we're not going to have any kind of influence for for good um, what we see here once again I, I do think as well is, we're seeing kind of, and this is Luke's subtle way, we've already noticed this once before, where he's kind of showing things that Paul is going through that are the same as what like Peter and the other apostles went through. And I think it's to just kind of reinforce Paul is an apostle, and, and I'm going to show you yeah. this by him, him kind of mirroring in his life what Peter and John and those other guys did before. Peter and John, they got thrown in jail more than one occasion. And then, of course, at the end of Acts chapter 5, when they you know, got released from jail and got released from the 
Um, you know, they, they left the council. What's the Bible say? Acts 5, verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy yeah. to suffer dishonor for the name. And, 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 and I think that was the attitude here of Paul and Silas on that night that, yeah, we're, prob- we're, we're hurting, we're aching, we've maybe got some broken bones for all, for all I know, yeah. um, but we're glad that we are, we are, in a very real way, we are suffering for Christ. Uh, on this occasion. And don't you see a lot more benefit that comes to the kingdom of God through people who are willing to do things like this? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not willing to put yourself out there and go through the hard, difficult things, then God's not going to use you because that's that's how things get done. Yeah. That's how things get accomplished. You know, Acts 9 verse um, 16 talks about when, when Paul was first converted, uh, he's Jesus tells Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, for one, Paul knew what he was getting himself into, um, but still he didn't shrink back. And I think it's his attitude, like this being able to sing and pray through these tough times that allow him the opportunity to even get through it. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we just had a bad attitude all the time and this terrible thing happened to us, wouldn't that just cause us to give up? You know, probably so. Yeah. Um, or at least be extremely ineffective in helping anyone else. Um, but no, Paul had this mentality, and that's how he got through those tough times. We need that. We need more of that. We need to be able to to get through the difficult times uh, in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord. It's really interesting, too, when you think about that later on, you know, 10 years later or so, uh, the letter that is probably most synonymous with um, Paul talking about having joy even in the midst of really hard circumstances, such as when he wrote that letter (laughs) in jail, potentially nearing death, he says again and again, you know, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. And of course, I'm talking about the letter to the Philippians, which is where, you know, in the very city in which these these events are taking place. Um, It is, though, in the midst of all of that, during that, that singing and praying and people listening to them, and we probably ought to even suggest here there's a high probability that that jailer is listening as well. Um, you know, I take it that, you know, he probably would have been stationed right outside their door. You know, if these guys are in the inner prison, if they're, you know, these are the most, you know, worst guys that we've got in the jail at this point in time. All right, this guy, he's, he's stationed here to take care of these guys. He's overhearing these things and maybe even conversations that were happening between Paul and Silas throughout the, the evening. Verse 26, though, suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. It's my understanding that in Philippi that it was common for there to be earthquakes. This, of course, is an earthquake of a much higher magnitude because of the language that's used there. The foundations of the prison were shaken. All the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. Verse 27. It's a strange earthquake. It is. Uh, yes, that's neat how that just happened. All, all the doors opened up and... Shackles fell off. All of the chains. Yeah. Um, Verse 27. When the jailer woke... Sorry, so apparently at some point during that evening he had fallen asleep, unfortunately. Um, But when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And so... He's getting ready to commit suicide because, um, I mean, he knows that there's a good chance if prisoners escape on his watch, then he's going to be executed. You know, it's not like you're fired. No, you're dead. 
Yeah. Uh, that's the way that that worked. The soldiers in Acts 12, verse 19, yes. when Herod, when they, when Peter had escaped, that's what happened to them. He yes. Put them to death. So the jailer knew what was going to come. Yeah. And 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 I do want to kind of. I, 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 I want to repeat that about that he was ready to commit suicide. Sometimes we, we kind of we, we motor past that because we mm. then get to the part where he's asking what I need to be saved. He's being baptized and oh man, this is great and this is wonderful. Let, let's stop and think about yeah. the desperation and the feeling of hopelessness that I am at the end of my rope and that there is no other recourse but for me to kill myself and end my life. And how that then just magnifies even more the power of the gospel. Yeah. Because that ends up being the saving grace for this man. Uh, that he pulls the sword away. He doesn't kill himself. Uh, because he finds the hope in the gospel. And, you know, you talk about you know, suicide's a problem in our world today. You know, so many people... Sure. Um, and sometimes that's brought about because of, of of their own poor choices and bad decisions. Sometimes it's the result of things beyond th their control, yeah. um, and and they feel that there's just no other option left but to do that. Um, yes, there's lots of you know things that that we can offer and and sources of of help out there for that. But I mean, I'll argue that the greatest thing that we can offer is the hope that's found in the gospel. Because no. uh, that's what Paul's going to offer uh, to this man on this occasion. It, it made me think of Peter from earlier in the book when Peter told the lame man, hey, silver and gold, I don't have anything. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And Paul's in this moment, hey, ain't nothing else. I mean, I don't, I don't have any advice about how to deal with depression or, you know, here's the best answer to say to your employer when they come to you ready to, to you know, berate you about letting prisoners loose. But... What I do have, I'd like to talk to you about, and it's the gospel. Yeah. Um, he says something else before that that I think is really instructive. Verse 28, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And I don't know you know, how Paul, well, again, he's got supernatural gifts of knowledge, and maybe that's how he knew that none of the prisoners had escaped. Maybe there was enough light shining through a, a you know, an open crack or something. He was able to look around and see that, hey, everybody's still here. Uh, but he says, hey, look, nobody's escaped. We're all here. Don't harm yourself. There's, yeah. a, there's another way here, friend. Yeah, I wonder, too, the jailer had just woke up, and so maybe a little disoriented mm -hmm. still. And, you know, when I wake up, I'm not the most perceptive, you know. And so I would, yeah, if, if I was him, I would probably assume everybody was escaped, too. Yeah. Um, Paul says, we're all here. And that then leads to verse 29. The jailer then called for light, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Um, I think I think when he says what I need to do to be saved, he's not asking about what I need to do to be you know saved from the hands of you know the the, the Romans who are probably going to kill me now, <laughs> or you know anything along those lines. I don't think he's talking about like physical salvation from something. What would make them qualified to even give him advice on that? Exactly, <laughs> um, he's wanting to know about saved in the sense of, of spiritual salvation. Um, and what would prompt him to ask a question such as that? Well, I, I, I think, again, the um, you know Paul and Silas's attitude and demeanor, maybe as they were brought into the jail, some, some through the course of that evening, maybe overhearing different things uh, that they had said, 
um, seeing just their calm disposition in the aftermath of this earthquake, um, all of those things. The other thing, uh, I'll repeat it one more time, verse 12, that they had been in the town for several days, he may have kind of already heard about these guys a little bit and knew that these guys were here you know, teaching things about salvation. Again, what was that demon-possessed girl saying? She was saying, these guys are, you know, servants of the Most High God, and they uh, are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. You know, there's a good chance he might have overheard that at some point along the way. He's a Philippian man. He's a, he's, he, he's, I'm going to assume he's a Gentile man, uh, especially if he's employed by the Roman government. He's a Gentile man. Um, so maybe doesn't have really any other exposure uh, to, to the way of salvation except what he may have been exposed to at some point during these last several days, and certainly during the course of, of, of that day. I wonder, the people that we come in contact with every day, the people we work with, um, you know, just regular people that, that we are around a lot, what if some of them uh, started having thoughts about their own soul, their salvation? I wonder who would be on their mind to ask about that mm-hmm. first. You know, would they look at us as a source of, hey, you know, they, they're spiritually minded. They talk about God all the time. You know, maybe I should ask them. You know, sometimes I, I think we try to get by, um, you know, just living our lives, doing our job, whatever, um, with as, as little spiritual input as possible. You know, I can't let them find out I'm a Christian because if they do, then they're going to be looking at me to make sure that I mess up or, you know, whatever. Or they'll, they'll make fun of me or they'll, you know, laugh at me or bring up some hard, difficult situations and, you know, want to talk, talk about it and that sort of thing. It's like, I, I, just, I just want to, you know, punch the clock, get my check and, and leave. Anonymous Christianity. <laughs> exactly. But, you know... No, the jailer here, he knew exactly who to go to yeah. for spiritual advice. Isn't it great um, if we are able to show, and not, as, as we said before, not like bragging or not, not for show. To, yeah, yeah. But isn't it good if people know that they can turn to us for spiritual guidance? Mm-hmm. If, if they, you know, circumstances have changed in their life, they are now receptive to the gospel, they know who to turn to. Yeah. Um, you know, Instead of someone else who might appear religious on the surface, um, and, and I think there's a lot of those, mm-hmm. um, we just got to be careful that, that we know where we fall in there. Yeah, yeah. I need to not uh, approach my Christianity from the thought of, oh man, I don't want somebody to find out because I don't want them looking at me and judging me or, you know, uh, you know, looking for me to fail. I, I, I need to think of that... Stop looking at that from the negative standpoint and think of it from the positive standpoint as you talked about. I, I, I need to portray real New Testament Christianity and discipleship because a day may come where, where simply by the force of my influence, of just the way I've carried myself and lived, that it will create the opportunity for uh, someone to, uh, to inquire or me to just see an opening for, oh, I've got the chance to say something now. And it's yeah. evident. Um, yeah, and, and Paul and Silas are, are, are a great example of, of that very principle. And, and, and you said something there just kind of in passing about just sometimes people's circumstances change. That, yeah, maybe at one point in their life they weren't really interested in that, but something happens that calls them to then be very interested in that. I think about this jailer. Yeah. He, may, he may have woke up that morning, didn't have the first interest at all in Christianity. But some stuff happened in the course of that <laughs> evening and he changed his mind, 
and and he yeah. was looking. He went searching. He became a seeker pretty pretty fast. And uh, and that happens a lot today. It may be it may happen from, you know, somebody gets a terrible diagnosis at the doctor. It may happen somebody loses a loved one or loses a job, and it causes people to just a switch gets flipped, and they go searching for the Lord. And if they can't figure out where to find the Lord, uh, that that we may have to answer for that someday yeah. when we should have been the light uh, all along the way. Um, the well, question, evangelism starts with the way that we live. Yeah. I mean, it's just a way of life. Yeah. The question that the guy asked, we can't say enough about how great of a question that is. I mean, it's yeah. one of the greatest questions anybody can ask. What must I do to be saved? And even just with that word do, he is indicating that uh, salvation, for at least from his understanding, was more than just merely mentally accepting. You know, we think about sometimes the, the definition of faith for many people is just, okay, I mentally accept that, that, that Jesus is Lord or, or He's God or, 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 or what have you. Yeah. I, I, I need to do something. There's an action that I need to take. Faith always involves uh, obedient action. What do I need to do to be saved is the question. Verse 31 and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, let's talk a little bit about the response they give here about believing in the Lord Jesus. Hey, Jason, look right there. Believe in Jesus. You can be saved. Mm-hmm. Sounds like faith only to me. What do we say about that? What are, what, 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 how would we respond uh, to the person who would use verse 31 to uh, kind of push the idea of faith-only salvation? I would. Uh, my first response would be let uh, read the other verses <laughs> that are there. All right. uh, yeah, I mean the next several verses talk about that. I think verse thirty-one and verse thirty-four are sort of bookends. because yep. it says verse thirty-one, believe in the Lord Jesus. Verse thirty-four said that having believed in God um, with his whole house. Okay, well, what does that encompass? You know, yeah. what does that mean? Why does Paul give this answer to this guy? When other people, when they ask, what must I do to be saved? Almost the exact same question. Um, they're told, you know, Acts 2, repent and be baptized. Why was that crowd given that response? This guy given this one. Well, I think uh, in Acts 2, that crowd, that group, they came and they, they had just heard this long sermon about who Jesus was and about mm -hmm. how Jesus is Lord. Yeah. They obviously believed already, and so the next step, what Peter told them, you need to be repent. You need to repent and be baptized. Here, this guy, how much does he know about the Lord Jesus? Apparently, not much, because verse thirty-two, that's when they speak the word of the Lord to him. So uh, I think that is belief, uh, you know, essential for salvation. Absolutely, yes, we need it. Is belief only, uh, you know? the way we go was he told in verse 31 only believe or you know if you only have faith that's all you need to do that's not what he said right um you know if if that was the case i think the story would have stopped there um and he went on his way rejoicing because he was now a christian yeah that's not at all what we see in the next few verses right there's as and i'll add a couple things as well you know this is the illustration I will often use is, you know, if you're, if you're giving directions to somebody on how to get somewhere. So if you were to call me up and say, hey, I need directions to get to Louisville. And I then start describing for you directions 
starting here at Somerset on how to get to Louisville. And then you maybe cut me off and say, well, no, no, hold on. I, I, I don't need you to tell me how to go down Ferry Road and then turn off Slate Branch and then turn to your... I, I, I'm actually already in Lexington. I need directions from Lexington on to Louisville. Oh, okay, well, then I'm going to pick up starting in Lexington and give you the remainder of those directions. Why? Because you're kind of already a, a, a little far along yeah. in, in, in the journey. Um, and that's why we do sometimes get those kind of different responses. Like you use the Acts 2 example. Those folks... Um, when they asked what do we need to do, um, they didn't need you know the first steps of that journey. It had already been laid out. They, they need those final steps. This guy is kind of at square one. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's evident because after it says that he, uh, after it says in verse 31 when he told him believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, that the very next thing that happens, verse 32, is they then spoke the word of the Lord to him. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy needs some more teaching. If, if, if Paul, it, it kind of makes me wonder, especially this, this guy being a Gentile, if Paul had told this guy, well, what you need to do is you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins in order to be saved, would that have even made any sense to that guy? He, he may not even know. know who Jesus is, yeah. uh, let alone the idea of being baptized into him. He's going to need some explanation about all of that before even getting to that point. So uh, there's, a, there's, there's a, a, a process of kind of building and meeting people where they are uh, and then and then kind of working from there. Uh, the other thing that I'll just suggest too, uh, just thinking of this from the standpoint of, of Luke as the author here, um, by this point in Acts, Luke has well illustrated time and again the, the completeness of God's plan for, for salvation of, of human beings. And, and Luke, I think, is, is maybe even kind of... He, Paul may have said more than just this right there. He may have. Actually, well, right. it is evident because verse 32 says that he you know, continued to talk and tell him about the word of the Lord. Um, Luke may be using kind of these little summary, summary statements because at this point in, in the book of Acts, it's already well established as to what a person needs to do in order to be saved. And it's not like all of a sudden here in chapter 16, oh, well, that's going to be different now. You know, it's going <laughs> yeah. to be changed. True. As opposed to the way all the other people previously were saved. Um, and so I think all of those things are, are, are worthwhile responses to this. You, the first thing that you said was we need to read the rest of the verses, and that is <laughs> important. So after speaking the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house, verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night, the jailer does, and he washed their wounds... And then he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Uh, that, just that, that verse 33, I just think that's just kind of a neat uh, dichotomy there, you know, that he washed their wounds, and then shortly thereafter his sins were washed away in the waters of baptism. Uh, it may just be kind of a play on words by, by Luke there. Um, notice, though, that it, that it says that he was baptized at once. Verse 33 says he took them the same hour of the night, you know, this is the middle of the night. You know, so the earthquake happened at midnight or about midnight. I don't know, maybe a, a couple of hours have passed. I don't take it that this was like some super long, you know, just dramatically thorough Bible study where Paul covered everything from the Old Testament scriptures up until now. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, he's able to help people understand the, the, the fundamentals, which probably ought to say something to us about, you know, it shouldn't take 38 Bible correspondence courses for someone <laughs> to learn the gospel. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, it seems like more often than not in Acts, the pattern is 
people hear the gospel like one time. Yeah. And they're ready to act. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know what what I'm saying by saying that. Whether that's a knock on how we teach, if we're just not doing it well, or or what. Uh, yeah, I realize our, our culture and our world's a little bit different. And there's a lot of other things that vie for people's attention, and so uh, th- that plays a role in this. But still, there is an urgency on this man's part. That's probably the more important thing uh, that I want us to see from 33. That's true. You, he, you don't see him teaching, okay, now here's all the acts of worship that <laughs> when you assemble with the saints, you need yeah. to make sure you do. I think that sometimes we do get caught up in that, yeah. and, and we don't evangelize because it's like, well, what what am I going to say about instrumental music? Yeah. Or what am I going to say if they ask about the Lord's Supper, and you know, should, should we take it like every week or yeah. uh, you know and what, what if I what if I don't know how to answer like should we just have one cup or like multiple or you know what do we do uh, no like they need to know how to be a follower of Jesus um, and that's that's the important thing yeah and if we can show them and help them to come to that uh, all the other stuff you know what it takes to worship God and that you know that'll fall in place that, that, we'll that's, the, that, that's the that, and that's the order that's laid out in the Great Commission you, know, yeah. you, you you proclaim the gospel. You teach people the gospel. Uh, tell them who Jesus is, how to be a follower of His. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You know, yeah. there's a place for all that other stuff, but it doesn't have to be like you know on 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 day one or or that again that we've got to take them through some rigorous you know seven thousand study you know cycle before they're then prepared. Okay, well now that you know and you've mastered and you've aced the test, okay, now you're ready to be a Christian. Yeah. Uh, no. Because um, there's going to there's there's have to be growth even after that. Even if, they, even if you get all that stuff in them in the beginning before they become a Christian, there's still going to be all kinds of stuff they're going to have to learn and grow. It, just yeah. like we're still learning and growing. Exactly. I'm learning and yeah. growing right now. So yeah, there's, there's. I think you see some urgency on on Paul's part. Uh, he's not, he's not wasting around and, and and drawing this out. And there's urgency on the the jailer's part by taking them that same hour of the night. The washing of the wounds. I've heard it kind of often said that that's maybe kind of a demonstration of of kind of some repentance and some remorse on his part. Maybe that's maybe that's at play there. And then being baptized at once. So again, it's in the middle of the night, and I love. Getting those phone calls that sometimes happen at two in the morning. Hey, can you meet me at the building or wherever? You know, yeah. there's some water and somebody want to be baptized. Kids want to be baptized or person I've been studying with want to be baptized. That's great because that says to me, people understand the immediacy of of, of salvation. There's not this hey, do that you know here in a couple weeks or you know at the annual meeting at the river baptism service that we put on the calendar a year in advance. Nope. I want to do that now. And why? Well, that, that I, I think this speaks to me. Uh, it's one of the great places that it speaks to me that salvation takes place and culminates in baptism. That without that, we're, we're, we're still not saved yet. Yeah. If, if it was not essential, why do we see so many examples of them immediately yeah. doing it? You know? 2 a.m. or whenever it was, you know, that's that's not a good, not, not a convenient time. Yeah, the more convenient thing, let's, let's wait till daylight, you know, and, and you know, some of this stuff settles down. All you know, everybody's all worked up from the events of this evening, and no, it, now this is yeah. this is I, I need or, this now. Or or even, uh, 
well, hey, I know some other brethren. I'm sure they'll want to see it. Yeah. And, you know, let's get everybody together uh, to encourage them. You know, so let's do it, you know, next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, no, it, it was, that was an important step for him to realize, that, you know, I, I need to do this and we need it right now. I remember you baptized a young man a couple of years ago who, uh, he came and met me at the building and um, it was in the middle of the afternoon and he said he wanted to be baptized. And I asked him, I was like, hey, do you want to call your mom and dad and wait for them to come down? I'm, I'm sure they would like to. And he's like, nope, I'm ready to do it right now. <laughs> it's not even waiting for <laughs> <my> mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And it really would it would have only taken them like five or ten minutes to even get here, but it's like, nope, I need to do this now. Yeah. And I I admire that. Yeah. Uh that's that's somebody who understands that that aspect of, of this. That it's not a it's not a wait till later thing. Um yeah. Verse 34, uh, Then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so there's, uh, again, kind of the, the, the natural effects and the, uh, some of the emotions and uh, the natural response to, to when a person is, is saved and knows that they are saved. Verse 35. Hold up. Uh, just, uh, just something else that, that some people try to use this section to teach. Um, when it says... His whole household yeah. was baptized. It's like, well, that must mean that uh, infants were baptized because his whole household was. Yeah. And obviously, every household has infants. Well, of course. So, <laughs> duh. Um, but, like, for one, okay, there's that. <laughs> you know, do we know if there were infants there? That's an um, unnecessary inference. <laughs> yes, <laughs> accurate. Um, but I think the best, best thing to see here to help clear all that up is this statement in verse 34. Um, you know, he brought them to his house, set food, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Um, how well do infants believe? Yeah. You know, can they do that? If they're not, you know, able to believe, I think that, that that's an obvious exclusion. Yeah. Um, Whoever in his household was able to believe, it yeah. seems as if they did and they were baptized. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they were infants, maybe not. You know, same thing earlier in the chapter with Lydia, uh, her whole household. You know, were there infants? Well, you know, if, maybe so. Yeah. But what does that matter? Exactly. Um, you know, that, that doesn't show anything. I think that the, the key thing here is belief is essential. Baptism is too. Yeah. Um, you can't have one without the other. I think sometimes people try to teach one or the other. You know, it's either you believe and that saves you. You don't have to be baptized. Or as long as you were baptized, even if you were an infant, you're okay. Um, no, we need both. We need yeah. all of that. You know, this is an all-encompassing action. Baptism is the one step that is passive in nature, in the sense that you really don't do it like it's done to you. True. Which, so, so yes, that that can be done to you as a little one, or you know, uh, even even without your consent, it can be done to you. True. Um, but the, the other aspects of, of what God, you know, uh, seeks from us in order to be saved, belief, confession, repentance, uh, that requires, I have to do that. Uh, yeah. it, it's, uh, there's an active part that I'm playing in that, and, and a little infant can't do those things. Um, True. Unless they're very, very advanced. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. Oh, well, 
quite a change of heart here. Let's just <laughs> let him go. Well, why so? Verse 36. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and they have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. I, <laughs> this, is, this is one of those little moments where I feel like we, we learn more about Paul's personality in, mm. in moments like this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I said earlier that you know Roman law exempted Roman citizens from degrading punishment or imprisonment without getting a proper trial first. And Paul is demanding an apology <laughs> from the magistrates yeah. for this you know public, shameful treatment that was inflicted on them. As Roman citizens, you know, in in the Thessalonian letter, it's interesting. Paul actually makes mention of this in First Thessalonians two verse two. He says, "But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we then you know came to you in, in, in Thessalonica." Yeah. Um, and so um, Paul is like not going to just let this go, and I, and I, and I don't think he's just being ornery uh, about yeah. this. Um, this is one of those places <clears throat> where I, I do think. If, if we're looking for kind of some scriptural authority for things, uh, that lets us know that it is appropriate for us uh, at times um, to invoke our rights, so to speak. Yeah. You know, as Americans, we're very big on, on, on my rights. At the beginning of the chapter, we saw that in the case with Timothy a willingness to give up my rights in order for the advancement of, of the gospel. Uh, but here's an occasion in order to assert uh, Paul's Roman citizenship. And, you know, I, I'm really not sure. I don't, I don't know that anybody's ever been clear about how a person goes about um, proving that they're Roman citizens. Right. Um, yeah. If someone said it, it probably was taken seriously because it's my understanding that if a person claimed to be a Roman citizen when they were not, that actually was an extremely punishable offense. Yeah. So for someone to to say it, it, it probably meant that, that they really did. But I don't know whether Paul carried like a, you know, an ID <laughs> card or a badge yeah, that right. you know said Roman citizen on it. Um, but I think this does show us that y y there may be occasions where it would be appropriate to utilize the 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 legal things that are available to us in our in the country or in the society in which we live. Uh, in order to be able to carry out, you know, our, our duties and obligations as as Christians. Yeah, you know, and, and you wonder why why Paul takes the time to do this because it. I don't know. I'm thinking if I was in that situation and I just went through all that, it's like they say you can go. Oh, I just want to get out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Good>. just <laughs> finally. But no, he takes the time to do that. I wonder if there's, and I might be reading too much into this, but I, I wonder if there's a little bit of, you know. We're getting ready to leave. You know, we're going to go to a different city. Um, but the Christians that are here, we don't want them to be concerned about yeah. this. You know, and so I think that that might have helped the the overall morale yes. of the of the Christians that were left in the city. Like, okay, they had to to crawl to me in prison with egg on their face, and, and you know, go, go through this embarrassing process to apologize. Yeah. They're probably not going to really be bothering you all that much. Yeah, they're going to be way more reluctant, you know, the next time these Christ followers 
start, you know, spreading their 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 influence in this area. There there may be even some thought even for his own self for you know maybe the next time I'm coming through Philippi uh, yeah. that you know we're True. not going to be harassed and treated this way uh, again, uh, especially for uh, on essentially false charges. Uh, yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, kind of wanting to, so it's it's not just making a statement just to be making a statement. I, I think there probably was some of those practical, uh, you know, ideas behind that. The jailer, anyway, you know, yeah. the jailer had just converted. Yeah. So what's he going to do? Exactly. Um, verse thirty-eight. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. Because again, they're 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 potentially and could be in some hot water uh, for treating other Roman citizens in this way. Verse thirty-nine. So they came. And apologized to them, I would imagine, very begrudgingly. <laughs> uh, and they took them out, and they asked them to leave the city. So, so it, we, we've shifted from you know tell them to go to now. Hey, would you please just leave? Mine says begging them. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is. It, it does remind me of of the occasion. Uh, in Mark chapter 5 and the other uh, parallel accounts when Jesus, after he heals the garrison demoniac, um, the people there ask him to go. And, and of course yeah. Jesus doesn't you know, fight and beg to stay there and teach a little while longer. Um, there's kind of, alright, this has created a, a disruption to the order of our lives and we're, we're, it's just too much for us. We're just not prepared for all of this so could you please just leave? And I think that's kind of the same tone here with the folks asking them to, to leave the city. And they comply, verse 40. So they went out of the prison. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And so uh, here's the mention here of, of Lydia. It's possible, uh, you know, just kind of talking out loud here. Um, who knows, the early days of, of the church in Philippi may have started meeting in, in the house of Lydia. She's already yeah. demonstrated a propensity for for hospitality and having people in her home, and it may have just kind of become the... the I mean, obviously, Paul and Silas knew to go there to her house. Yeah. Um, it says that they had seen the brothers, so now we've got, you know, there's more than just Lydia uh, that's Christians there. Um, of course, there was the ones from her household, but there may have even been others that were converted that were just not told about uh, up to this point. Encourage them, and then we're, we're heading on our way to the to the next stop. Um, Lots of lots of action in this chapter. <laughs> My goodness, yes, there least. is. Yeah. Um, what are the thoughts on sixteen? Well, I just uh, I like to consider from from Philippians one. Um, the introduction Paul gives there, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel mm -hmm. from the first day until now. You know, this you see so much in, in here. And, and maybe he's talking specifically about Lydia. You know, that first day when she urged him to stay, you know, it was just like they were willing and, you know, just wanting to participate in Paul's, you know, journey and what he was doing there with the gospel. The word there, the word participate or partnership, it's it's koinonia, it's fellowship. Yeah. You know, the fellowship. Yeah. And and yes, sometimes we immediately think of, of money. And the Philippian church did help in, in the support in a monetary sense, but I think it's more than that. It's, oh, yeah. It's the fellowship that we had on a number of different levels. Um, and that, that connection he has with these people in the most difficult situations. I mean, 
who else could be beaten as badly as Paul was and still remember that city fondly? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's more to it than just what happens to us physically. And I, I think we need to rely on the brethren a lot more. We need to, you know, encourage each other. We need to be there for each other, lift each other up. Um, and just in general, be more evangelistic just through the way that we live. Um, you know, it's it's something that it is important, and we need to always consider. There, there is a bonding. I'm going to follow up on your statement there. Yeah. There, there is a special bonding that happens when when brethren are kind of in the trenches, and, and and either they suffer or we go through, you know, kind of some some memorable um, events. I I remember preaching a meeting several years ago, in I forget what the hurricane was that it hit down in Texas, but the, it created this huge windstorm that came all the way up to Kentucky and it swept through Louisville and it knocked out the power uh, in the city for like, I think it was five days from Sunday till Thursday. Well, we had just started a gospel meeting that day and <laughs> that afternoon was when the windstorm came through, trees down everywhere, power lines down everywhere. We were without uh, electricity uh, until uh, until Friday night. and. I, I have a connection with the brothers and sisters from that week because of just how wow. that just kind of bonded us and we came together and it was so memorable and it, it, no we didn't suffer in the sense that you know we were in jail and beaten and those sorts of things but you know we went through some trials that week and and it just kind of brought us together and like I said I I will talk about that meeting until the day that I die and I'll hold a special place in my heart with those brethren because we went through that together. And you can't read the Philippian letter uh, all the way through without clearly getting that from Paul. That that's, that's how he felt about his time with the Philippian brethren and their continued relationship with him even, even beyond Acts 16. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Man, there's this this chapter was so great. Um and there's I think there's a lot of people who try to use parts of this chapter to teach things that it does not teach. Yeah. We have to be prepared for that. We have to be ready for that. Um I think reading the whole chapter helps. I think reading all of Acts up until this point helps. <laughs> um so yeah, uh, I, I think just in general to, to help prepare for those sorts of things and to help think through those things, we just really, like like we've been saying every week, we just need to keep studying. We yep. need to keep our, our nose in the book and we need to keep uh, seeing what's actually there uh, and reading it as it's stated, not how we think it should be said. Perhaps we need to search the scriptures daily in order to do that. Ooh. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> Preview for next week, chapter 17, verse 11. We'll talk Indeed. a little bit about those noble Bereans and... Uh, again, uh, uh, several kind of memorable moments in chapter 17 as well. Look forward to talking about that. Thank you, Jason, for joining me. Thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Acts the 16th chapter. Look forward to 17 next week.